0: This is Hallway Chats, where we talk with some of the unique people in and around WordPress.
1: Together, we meet and chat with folks you may not know about in our community.
0: With our guests, we'll explore stories of living and of making a living with WordPress.
1: And now the conversation begins. This is Episode 7. Welcome to Hallway Chats. I'm Tara Clays.
0: And I'm Liam Dempsey. Today, we're joined by Beth Soderberg. Beth is a Washington, D.C.-based web developer, digital strategist, and activist. She builds websites and organizes around open source communities, feminist issues, and the intersection of technology and empowerment. Beth, hello.
2: Hello. Hi, Beth. Welcome. Welcome welcome to me. It's great to be here.
1: (laughs) We're glad to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself beyond what Liam just described?
2: Sure. I, uh, I, I, build websites for a living. I run my own small consultancy and I work primarily with nonprofits, a- activist groups of various kinds, uh, and random small businesses as well as some larger subcontracting type clients. So m- day by day I'm building websites, but I try to, to bring the work that I'm doing with building the websites or supporting websites back to issues that I care about and organizations that really need technical support that they can trust and rely on, which is rare uh, to find, especially for a small nonprofit that might be working on an issue that is much bigger than, than their bandwidth.
0: That's a great introduction, Thank you, Beth. so if you're if you're making websites and you're on our show, you use WordPress. Tell us a little bit about how you first got into WordPress and uh, what impressed you about it, what drew you to it.
2: I was dragged to Wordcamp, Boston, two thousand and ten. Which was in January. It was a very, 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 very cold experience, and I, I, uh, I knew nothing about WordPress. I just knew that my mentor at work had managed to convince our boss to pay for a ticket for me to go, and which always I, makes
0: a trip seem nicer.
2: Yeah, it's it. I was working at a, a small nonprofit that was focused on women's rights issues and we didn't have money for this type of thing. So the fact that there was a moment in time where it was somehow approved for me to go to something like this was just, you know, it didn't matter what it was I was going. So I went and I had been a writer. I was in charge of an online news wire that was a daily news wire about, you know, feminist news. And the argument for me to go to the conference was to learn to be a better digital editor and digital strategist. I went to the conference. I went to some of the blogging sessions. I had already been working professionally online as a media producer for several years at this point. And I got bored in those sessions. And I started to just go to stuff I didn't understand. And that was the first time that I was like, huh, it's interesting how this works beyond what I can put into it in terms of words. Um, And from there, it was sort of a slow evolution into deciding that I liked writing code more than I liked writing words. And now I'm back at a place where i realized that I like writing both words and code. So that's been an interesting sort of full circle.
0: Talk to us about that that circle of the the evolution of writer to developer. Because I, I started as a writer myself and did not go code and went more design and writing and, and some code, but yeah. I am no parts developer. So maybe you can just talk us <laughs> through your own journey.
2: I I was an accidental writer. I am writing is by far the thing that I'm best at. And I always, always n- didn't resisted it because i i didn't take english in college for example because i had placed out of it because i had fives on the two english ap exams right so you know and i remember being i'm terrible at grammar i'm awful at grammar i can't tell you what an adverb is still but i have always been a very prolific reader and as a teenager i went to there's a small town library where I still know the librarians. This is how much I went as a, <laughs> as a child. That's awesome. um, yeah, I can walk in, you know, 25 years later, and they're like, "Oh, it's great to see you. How have you been?" Yeah. Um, but as a young adult, I went. The rule in my family with the library was that you could take out as many books as you could carry. So I routinely was taking out like, you know, two foot high stacks of books. <laughs> And I would read through, I decided to read through the young adult section in alphabetical order. So I started at the top left wow. of the shelf and I read and I skipped books that I thought were disinteresting or too hokey because young adult novels can be that way. Yep, yep. But I read from the authors that started with A to the authors that started with Z and I finished the shelf. It was like one of my life goals as a teenager. Um. Can I so ask I've, how
0: long that took? Mm,
2: a few years, two or three years.
0: That's still hugely impressive. Wow. <laughs> You're
2: I'm, a, amazing. I'm a fast reader. I love to read and I think I've just absorbed grammar by reading. And if For those of you who've heard me talk about learning to code, which is something I talk about a lot, I'm also terrible at grammar and code. Horrible. I can't describe syntax at all. I have to hmm. really focus on it in order to explain to you what's happening. Part of why I'm try to teach it is because it helps me internalize it. Right? Do you
1: learn through through books as well?
2: Mm-hmm. Is that how you've learned your code by reading? Uh, yeah. I am 100% a book learner. I have a huge bookshelf full of all sorts of web development books and the stuff that I'm best at are this is the stuff that comes from the books that I've read like three or four times each. I used to sit when I was learning CSS, I had this book and I would go out during my lunch hour and sit on a bench in the park. And I just read that CSS book cover to cover several times. And
1: mm-hmm. eventually
2: it clicked. But for me, with learning things, it's just exposure. Once I have exposure to something, eventually there's something in my brain that like comes together and it all suddenly makes sense. But i it's because I've internalized the syntax. I am never going to be the person who can explain like the, the nuances of the syntax in that moment when it clicks. Hmm. It might happen a few years later.
1: Do you have to practice it as well? I would think just reading it without doing it would be hard to actually, for me anyway, it would be hard to learn. I can sit and watch a video, but if it doesn't have an exercise file where I can actually, I can actually go do it, it makes it harder to learn. I'm fascinated by the ability to read a book a few times. That's just awesome. And pick up the know. code
2: for me, it, it it plays to how I learn and I'm, I I get, I have a very hard time to paying attention in general in the world. So when I try to do a tutorial online, like I've tried code Academy a few times to learn JavaScript. Oh, I can't. It's it. And it's not that it's bad in general. It's that it's bad for me. It's, (laughs) it's a terrible thing for me to sit there and try to pay attention long enough to the little video to get anything out of it it's part of why I like going to conferences so much because when I'm sitting in someone's talk in a conference it's rude to not pay attention mm. <laughs> <laughs> when I'm watching the same talk on my computer I will play games on my phone yeah. <laughs> Dark, yeah.
1: so yeah I, you but know, books you can focus books but- I can focus yeah and
2: and I end up you know, it's usually because I'm trying to do something that I'm reading the book, right? So when I had to, I got a job where I needed to use SAS and I'd never used SAS before. So I got that little pink book that Dan Cederholm wrote and I read the SAS book on the Metro every day for (laughs) two or three weeks. And then I started the new job where I knew I was going to have to use the technology and i had i knew enough about where things were in the book to be able to look up what i needed in the moment yeah i could see that and so i kind of it's an as needed thing it, in the beginning it was totally a i don't know anything about any of this i need to read all the things now it is a i need i know i'm going to have to do this thing so i study for the thing rather than in general
0: that's really interesting and and i imagine empowering that you have figured out by experience how you learn and can put yourself in a position to learn in that way mechanically so when there is a new technical challenge coming your way Mm -hmm. all you have to do is all you have to do i'm oversimplifying but you you find the book and you read it and you're on your way versus not knowing how you best learn. That's really great. So you've been learning. You started as a writer. You're you're now a developer. You started with nonprofit. uh, And and now you're working with nonprofits as as clients. Talk to us about that kind of job-by-job transition, if you will. How did you kind of spend time transitioning from a writer to a a writer and developer or a developer and a writer?
2: So in the beginning... When I first decided this might be a good idea, it was 2010, the recession was raging, I was 23, 24 maybe, and I could not get a new job. I had been trying to get a new job for at least a year. And I knew I didn't want to go back to school because I could see the like glut happening in all of the people going back to school. And I was terrified that I would go and not being able to find a job later. So I knew I had to stay in my job. And originally learning more about technology was simply a way to get a better job. That was it. It was, you know, I was an executive assistant. I had this writing capability, but no one really cared in the job market at the time. And my academic credentials were definitely not helpful. I have a bachelor's degree in women's studies and another bachelor's degree in psychology. So if no one wanted to hire me. Um, and I saw technology as a way to grow my resume and get more of a digital communications job rather than the pure writing job sort of admin assistant job that I had. So I continued to fail at getting jobs for the next year or so. And during that time, the person who managed the website at that nonprofit quit. And she pulled me into the server room that we had, which was literally a closet in the dark, and said, Beth, you got to take my job. And the first thing I said was, I can't. I don't know what I'm doing. Like, I don't know how to do your job. It doesn't matter. You can learn. <laughs> you know, I know they want to keep you. So I moved to that job. And in that job is when I really, that's when I was reading the books on the bench. I started to figure out that I liked it. And I originally hadn't planned to stay in that job very long. I had planned to stay in it long enough to get another job. And I stayed in that job for three years. And by the time I left, I had gone to school at night. I did a web design program at the Corcoran, which is no longer, which is very, very sad. The Corcoran College of Art and Design for folks who are not local to D.C. And I had been starting to rebuild that organization's websites. I had incredible imposter syndrome. I had no idea how good or bad I was at anything because I had no frame of reference. I only had my mentor who... Was so much better than me at everything, right? So I just thought I was terrible. Um, and then I took this class at the Corcoran, and it was a web development class. It was intro to web development. And I remember walking in, and I was terrified because this was the litmus test of, you know, how is, good <laughs> am I? How good am I? <laughs> right. And I. Regularly was debating the professor about the right way to do things. <laughs> and the final project was to build a very basic WordPress site, super basic. And I went to him at the end of class and I was like, look, this is going to take me 30 minutes. Can I do something else? <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, like I want to actually learn from this experience. And so I built my first sort of robust child theme as the final project for that class and it I look at that now and like it honestly wasn't the best code I've ever written but when you looked at it on the front end and you looked at some of the ideas behind it it was pretty extensible and it was you know it was beyond what that class was meant to do so that was a key moment for me
1: Was the class worth it in that case? It sounds like you kind of had to teach yourself and go beyond. Would you do that again?
2: It was worth it for two reasons. One, I gained a lot of confidence from that experience because I realized I wasn't as bad as I thought I was. And two, I needed that class. It was required to get this certificate. And my resume up until that point was feminism. Uh, okay. Like, (laughs) there was no indication... And my mentor, this is something that was incredibly valuable, but we changed my title the last year that I worked at that nonprofit to be web developer, Uh which was a generous term for (laughs) what I was at that time. But she knew what my goals were, and she knew what I was trying to do. And so the combination of changing my title and getting that certificate is what enabled me to get a job. Excellent. At doing web development full time. So then I worked at this PR firm. I applied to the job off of LinkedIn. And it was an ad. And I ended up on this little dev team with some wonderful, wonderful people, entirely Drupal developers. And I thought that would make me a better developer to learn Drupal. It totally did. I still am a, more of a fan of WordPress than Drupal, but I do work in both still. And again, I, I, about six months into me being there, my boss pulled me aside and was like, so I thought that you were going to require a lot of handholding because I thought you were really a beginner because you presented yourself as a beginner in the interview and you're not. I was like, well, that's good, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I gained a lot of confidence in that job, and I built some really cool things in that job. Uh, it was just a great learning experience, and I worked with an awesome team, and I loved my teammates. And the only reason I really left is because the focus of that business changed, and they weren't doing web development anymore, really. And so, the amount of work that we had as a team lessened and lessened and lessened. And you could see the writing on the wall, one of my teammates left and we didn't replace him. And, you know, I was like, oh, I gotta get out if, <laughs> you know, there's a certain point where I am going to leave here, whether it's of my own volition or not. And so I got another web development job, which further served to legitimize me. That's where I learned SaaS. And while at that job, the nonprofit that I used to work for started to fall apart. And they called me one night. They got hacked um, pretty badly. There was an animated GIF of hugging kittens when you went to that newswire I used to write. And they called. And it was, you know, 2 o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon. And I said, look, I'm at work. I can't, you know, I can't help you right now. Well, what do we do? And so I told them who to call and what to say and what to do. What if we mess it up? It's like, okay, I'll be there in like three hours, but I can't just drop everything right now. Like I am at work. (laughs) I don't work for you. I haven't worked for you for years. So I went there that night and I was there until midnight, one in the morning. And I had to hack back into all of the systems because I didn't have any passwords or credentials, but I knew how everything was set up and we fixed it and then you know that's sort of what started the the trend for me to me coming back to where I am now where I still work for that nonprofit. I not ironically sit in a desk that is the same location where I was when I left and I'm not there every day they're not my only client but you know there was sort of the stars aligned and I have to thank those hackers for Giving me the opportunity to sort of reevaluate a little bit what I was doing and how I was doing it. Because I've learned again with that whole experience that it was just so much more meaningful to me to do that kind of work than the other kinds of stuff I was doing. Even though the other kinds of stuff I was doing was, from a technical perspective, pretty cool, pretty visually awesome, you know, but it's for me more meaningful to actually. To build something that's not perfect but that is really serving a a cause, is more important than building the most beautiful perfect website. I try to build beautiful websites for a cause, though. Most of the...
0: <laughs> yeah, that's 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 really that's really that's really powerful, and and I love that as your career developed and as you learned to write not just words but code and you really were excited by and dove full into the code and learned that, that over the course of time, you continued to self-evaluate and eventually realized or discovered or discerned that it's not just the code and the writing, but it's what it's the larger cause that that's connected to. So that's really powerful. And I'd like to use that setting to ask you to share your definition of success.
2: Oh, so I I had to write this down because... This was one of the most existential questions you all asked in those pre-interview notes. So um, I've thought about it a little bit, and I I think for me, the ultimate feeling of being successful has a lot to do with flow. So that feeling of being really engaged in what you're doing and just having that focus on it. And I think... Probably for me, since focus is an elusive thing, usually, I think that that's part of why I find that to be such a measure. Um, but I also think it's a sign that you're doing something that you're you're skilled at, and that you're creating something that is really going to be of value. So I think, in terms of a feeling, I think that's usually my feeling of success. But in terms of practical terms, you know, I'm all about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. For those of you who are not familiar with psychology, that means things like food, housing, all of that taken care of first, and then you can build on that. And for me, building on that usually looks like spending time with my friends and family and having more of a balance and producing things that I think are really good, but also that have, you know... Again, some sort of practical meaning. Uh, I built a website once that was a really, it's probably the most high-profile website in terms of clients that I've ever built. And I don't, it had a forum on it. I went to the website about a year later and I knew from day one, I tried to talk them out of the forum in the UX process. They insisted on this forum and I just knew that they were never going to use this website. Mm. And so though it was a super high profile client, did it really matter? No, it didn't. Not at all. No one cares. No one used it. Um, Yeah. Interesting. Uh,
1: Thank you for taking this question seriously and giving it so much thought. We appreciate that. It's one of the things we like to talk about um, is the idea of success and also um, where you find yourself on that journey. So you've you've made yourself, I would say, Beth, it sounds like you've taught yourself so much. I'm really inspired and impressed by what you've managed to do with your own brain and books and school. Mm-hmm. And 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 I really also like how you've talked about your, your journey through imposter syndrome and how um, you've sold yourself short at times and discovered that when people point out to you um, that you're farther along than you think you are. I think that's excellent. So with all of that in mind, and your definition of success, where do you find yourself in that in this new point you are in with your career?
2: I think that it is a mistake to view success as a destination, right? People who have a goal and they work towards the goal and they reach the goal and have that as the that definition of success. I feel that they usually end up standing around looking around them going, "Okay, well now what?" <laughs> mm-hmm. Right? And one of the activists that I work with who was a leader in the women's rights movement in the 70s and 80s and still is now, but not is not quite as public as she was at the time. One of the things that she says all the time and I've really internalized it is she's she means in terms of activist strategy but I think it applies to life strategy too is that you need to just monitor and adjust mm-hmm. right if the goal is getting you know 50% representation in a legislative body and you go from 2% to 10% to 18% and then you go down to 10% right the important part there is what happened between 18 and back to 10 And what do you need to adjust to get back to 18? And so I think that I've usually tried to, with my goals and what I'm trying to do, I always have a goal, but I'm okay with changing the goal. And I refuse to ignore the experience that I have in the present in in lieu of focusing on the goal. Does that make sense?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Beth, as as you monitor and adjust your own definition of success and your measure of success, what's the single most important thing you do every day to achieve and or maintain that success, that flow you talked about?
2: I think the thing that I do day to day or that I try to do day to day that helps me be successful is control my list of what I'm supposed to do so that I don't lose things because one of the things that I have as an intrinsic value in terms of how I relate to other people is to try to always do what I say I'm going to do. I'm not always successful, but when I'm not successful, I feel awful. I really, really, really try to not promise things I can't do. And because I have a life that involves multiple clients who have no idea what the others are doing, open source projects that are totally unrelated to everything else but can be totally volatile and time consuming. All of that, my family, everything. What I tend to do is every night before I go to bed I sort of reevaluate what needs to happen and I make the list for the next day. I don't let myself have more than three to five huge priority tasks per day And, but everything else goes on the list too, right? Writing an email, things as small as like, text this person about, you know, whatever, go on that list. And it helps me be more attentive to what I actually need to do, all those little pieces that are important to getting the end goal done, whatever the goal is at that moment. And then every Sunday night I have a staff meeting with myself hmm I like that. So, yeah. <laughs> I, I, you know, and I, once a month I, I go through and I work through my goals for the month in, in reference to how my goals work for the year. I make goals that are yearly in five categories. This all comes from a course I took from a woman. Her name is April Bowles Olin. She runs a business for women creative entrepreneurs called Blacksburg Bell. And I've never met her in person, but I've been following her for probably five years. And I have found a lot of community and inspiration from the women entrepreneur creative space because it tends to be friendlier to women than tech communities. Mm-hmm. And so, but she, I took this course from her years ago that was about productivity and her basic framework for How she sets goals and reevaluates is what I still follow. I've adjusted it over time, but it basically dials down to the fact that I have these huge goals for the year, and then I break them down so that every day I'm like knocking off these little tiny pieces of them.
1: I like the goal setting. When you are setting these goals and and managing your time, which I know we all struggle with, uh, Mm -hmm. what would you say is your biggest challenge in your in your business or in your daily life, as you talk about managing your time, what what's your biggest challenge?
2: Intrusion of emergencies.
1: Mm.
2: I call them moles, like whack-a-mole. They, they pop up yeah. all the time. <laughs> but, you know, particularly when you're building websites and maintaining websites, and also when you're working with clients who are dealing with politics, you know, I read I rebuilt a website over the weekend that we're going to launch hopefully today. It's not done yet, right? But it needs to be done because of what's happening in Congress. So it got bumped up the priority scale because of the larger world and the needs of my client, which totally disrupted what I was planning to do last week, this weekend. But I make decisions all the time about whether that's okay or not. And if,
0: and that probably relates back to your connection to causes, and it's not just technical work to get a site live, mm-hmm. but it's in support of a cause on a wider issue. Yeah,
2: and, and I've, I've definitely had moments with some clients where I've looked at them and I've said, look, this is crazy. No one other than me would be willing to do this with you right now. Right. So, yes, I will stay up all night with you and I will finish this thing. But you need to recognize that this is extraordinary, <laughs> and it is not, not normal, and not how we're going to do every project.
1: That's hard once you, once you set that precedent uh, to have that, that expectation of yourself or, uh, or of your clients to draw the line or make priorities how do you how do you manage that in terms of how you charge as an entrepreneur and a business person do you put a premium on projects that are rushed like that I assume if you're working for causes that also you know their budgets are probably limited and you must face some challenges with that
2: I don't actually I do it but what I do is that I treat it like as if you were talking to a small child right and and if you say, okay, you can have the ice cream now, but that means you can't have the ice cream later, right? So if I, if I do that, if I have a crazy rush, I will say, okay, you're not going to see me for three weeks while I catch up on all of the other things that I didn't do while I was doing this thing.
0: So it relates back to managing expectations and achieving Mm -hmm. balance and Mm -hmm. open communication.
2: Yeah, but I'm very clear in the moment and I'm very aggressive. A lot of people probably wouldn't say some of the things that I say to my clients about what the self-reflective part of what I'm doing, those moments when I say to them, you do know that this is absolutely unreasonable, right? And they're like, well, I know. but..." But you do it anyway like, so I'm going to do this.
0: We'll only do it this one time.
2: (laughs) But we need to all understand that this is not normal and that when I am done, I'm going to go away for a little while. And that's how I manage it. Right. Because it's more of a, you know, I don't do that kind of work because of the money. Sure. And if it was because of the money and I charged a rush fee every time. That just wouldn't sit right with me. So I just try to make sure that I don't lose my mind uh, while I'm doing that (laughs) and allow myself to make the time to deal with the rest of my projects and the rest of my clients in a way that's not destructive while also supporting the, the crazy urgent thing that is probably ridiculous that I'm doing.
1: That does sound like a, a challenge, I think, an internal challenge, because you are working for causes that you believe in strongly, and important things are happening, and you also have to run a business, so I'm sure you must have that conversation with yourself, being fair to yourself and being fair to your clients, and um, mm-hmm. I think that that's an important challenge to face. It sounds like you have a good handle on it.
2: I try, and I'm not going to lie, there are days where you look at my time tracker, And you'll see when these things happen that suddenly I'm working 15, 16, 17 hours for days in a row. And then I crash. And then there's a few days where I'm working three or four hours, right? Because you're human. You need to sleep. You need to take care of yourself. You've realized that you haven't cleaned your apartment in two months. It it happens. (laughs) But there's also the part of me that couldn't live with myself if in those moments I didn't do the thing. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's 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 a that's a really valuable point. Is is what do we do when the chips are down? Um, so Beth, I want to I want to change gears a little bit and ask you about. You've talked a lot about the the systems you've put in place and the way you approach things, but maybe you can tell us what has been the single most valuable piece of advice that you've ever received, be it personal or professional, and how did you work that advice into your life?
2: So. Not ironically, I've actually already said this during this podcast, but when I was in college, I managed my senior year, I managed the tour guide program, the student admissions program for university admissions. And I had this team of 16 student leaders who were volunteers. And it was a hard balance to strike because I was paid and they were not, right? Which is always an organizing problem that organizers in any sort of whether it's political or not organizers face this problem all the time and i remember packing up this good friend of mine he we were packing up our office at the very end of the year and so we had graduated we were both working there for a little bit before we started our real jobs And then we were all done. And I remember carrying boxes with him in this stairwell. And I remember the light. It's one of those moments in your life where you're like, I know exactly where I was. And he looked at me. He's like, you know what I've liked about working for you? You always do what you say you're going to do. And I was like, I guess I do. I try to. That's really important to me, right? But he verbalized it in this moment that was so critical because I was just about to start my first job. I had just finished this huge thing in terms of being done with college and it was just so I don't know it was the right moment to say that to me and then I think the other best piece of advice I've ever received is actually just very practical which is when you meet somebody and they give you your business card later write everything you remember about them on the back (laughs) and I I do that all the time and when I go to like super big conferences and I meet new people. It doesn't matter whether I have a business card or not. I have notes from like various conferences about who people were and, you know, how I met them and, you know, their kid goes to college here and just random stuff. That's a great idea. So that later when I see that person again, I've internalized that. And some of the people, if you look at my older notebooks, there are people that I had dinner with in like 2012 that I wrote like five lines about in my notebook that are now people that are really truly very good friends of mine so that's great thank you for sharing that that's a more practical one but it's it's awesome (laughs) it helps
0: yeah I love them both I love them both Uh, Beth, we're we're running out of time here, but before we let you go, can you let people know where we can find you online? Sure.
2: You can go to my website, which is bethsoderbergh.com. It currently still does not reflect accurately what I do, but (laughs) there have been higher priorities. And you can also find me on Twitter, and I'm at Beth Soderbergh there, too. And pretty much everywhere else, I'm. I'm the other Beth Soderbergs are not a fan of me because I'm an early adopter. So, the only place where I don't have my full name as my username is Instagram. A mom in the Midwest got to it first. Ah. Uh, noted. Mm-hmm.
0: Beth, thanks. Thanks so much for joining us here today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Really enjoyed our conversation. Absolutely. Thank you.
2: Beth. Take care. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the show. We sure hope you enjoyed it as much as we did.
2: If
1: you like what we're doing here, meeting new people in our WordPress community, we invite you to tell others about it. We're on iTunes and at hallwaychats.com.
0: Better yet, ask your WordPress friends and colleagues to join us on the show. Encourage them to complete the Beyond the Show form on our site to tell us about themselves.